Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So my next guest is Mazarine Trays. We had a wonderful time talking about non- the nonprofit sector and fundraising. Ooh, I know it sounds very exciting, uh, uh, but 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 the insights go deep. Uh, we peeled back some layers on corporate culture, on leadership. We we talked about the problem of evil for crying out loud. We talked about building relationships and and how important. Uh, that that is not only to the nonprofit sector, but just to frankly for humanity in this COVID crisis that we we find ourselves in. We talked about uh, staff love uh, and donor love. I'm just going to leave that there, but that's worth the price of admission as far as I'm con- concerned. We talked about how to how to expand fundraising and about fight and flight and about freedom. We talked about. Um, uh, poetry. Wait for this one here. We talked about poetry that sticks to the real. How beautiful is that? Um, we talked about why this is a, a great time to experiment and about different types of fundraising and some virtual things that are happening online uh, conferences and not just Zoom calls, but virtual coffees and why connecting with people and why uh, connecting with donors actually really, really matters. Cognitive bias and uh, compromise and create creating a culture where where mistakes are celebrated anyway i think you're going to really enjoy this conversation with with mazarine uh can you tell i did um anyway so stay tuned it's coming right up and uh, don't forget davidpecklive.com for more information about my uh, writing and my public speaking you can get a copy of real changes incremental there i would love it if you pick that up and 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 if um you could leave a review of the book too if well if when you read it that would be great and don't forget you can do the same with face-to-face, face-to-face-live.ca. We're coming up, well, by the time you hear this one, we're going to be over 500 published interviews. And you can advertise with us. You can donate through Patreon uh, to help us uh, move this thing forward. And we are 
going strong and we're going to continue and uh, we've got a newsletter you can advertise there on the website you can advertise through shoutouts during an interview as well so please touch base with us if you're interested in doing that on the website sign up for the uh, newsletter uh, tweet about us tell us about uh, tell tell your friends about about us and get word on the digital street oh and you know what i'd really love it if you could leave us uh, an itunes review i would so appreciate that it's hard to get noticed uh, by itunes it's hard to get uh, digital chit chat going so i would appreciate that and uh, don't forget i also appear on rabble rabble.ca uh, they are a news for the rest of us they are a, a platform uh, where i've been uh, appearing for the last several years and journalists podcasters bloggers people who who are talking about things that matter so check them out as well but don't touch that dial mazarine trays coming right up Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by a very special guest here with us today. Mazarine Trez is, is with us to talk about a, a lot of things, I think. We're going to get into some very uh, specific issues connected to and related to the nonprofit sector. Mazarine, thank you for taking the time to, to uh, visit with us here on Face to Face today. Yes. Thank oh. you so much for oh. having me. Well, thanks for your time today. Um, so, so tell us a little bit about uh, so so uh, the the work you do, and and for folks that are listening, it's Mazarine M A Z A R I N E T R E Y Z dot com, and I guess that's Z for you, right? Being an American, correct? Yeah. <laughs> Were you smiling when I said that? I was. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Great. This guy doesn't even speak English. This is fantastic. What's going on here? Yeah. Um, so, so tell, so tell us a little bit about the work that you do and, 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 and why we're having a chat today. I mean, I certainly have lots of questions for you. Uh, we're in a really challenging time from a nonprofit uh, sector perspective, fundraising perspective. Um, th as you mentioned, just before we hit record, 36% of, of Canadian nonprofit sector has been laid off, at least temporarily. We got so much to talk about, but well, let's hear a little bit about you before we step into some of that. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, so I started my business 10 years ago. Um, I'm actually Canadian by heritage. Uh, oh, okay. My dad's dad was born in Quebec. Um, so right. Quebecois French. Um, oh. But I've been living in Portland, Oregon for a, lot, a while now. And um, what I do with nonprofits and primarily with non-faith-based nonprofits is I help 
people expand and grow their fundraising capacity. And that can include everything from working one-to-one with executive directors to working with development directors to training your board how to fundraise to um, putting together a series of trainings, courses, and webinars and online conferences for the sector in the last four years that has had people coming from all over the world, not just North America. And um, it's been really exciting to be able to offer uh, online trainings now in this time of COVID-19 to people um, because, you know, the messaging and virtual events are where I really love helping people. And I'm also going to be working with um, a community foundation in the next few weeks here to offer this training to their grantees. So if you are a nonprofit leader, feel free to get in touch and you can reach me through my website or um, my uh, my. Yeah, email address is info at wildwomenfundraising.com. Yeah, what's what, what's with the wild women? Yeah, tell, wild women. <laughs> yeah, um, wild woman fundraising, for me, it doesn't mean, you know, dyeing your hair blue and putting in a nose <laughs> ring because anyone can become a commodified rebel, right? right. Oh, me, absolutely, yes. Love yeah. that phrase, by the way. That should be the title of a book you write. <laughs> commodified rebel. Yes. Yeah, it's kind yes. of like spiritual materialism. It's like, well, I bought the yes. meditation cushion, so That's aren't right. I a Buddhist now? No. Yes, yes. I'm, yeah, where's the incense? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm all set. I've got the incense. Yeah. So for me, um, I feel like I'd like to quote one of my favorite poets right now, uh, Jack Spicer, and he says, Poetry is what sticks to the real. Mm, and what um, a great quote. I yeah, I love it. He's he's this fantastic poet. And um he talks about how the most important thing to do is to surprise yourself and um, that uh, people's main problem is trying to be happy. But anyway, separate note. Um, what I—that's another—that's another podcast. That's a podcast, whole other podcast. Yeah, right. that's right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah um, what Wildman fundraising means to me is specifically helping our sector and our world overcome. Uh, the way we don't say what is the most important thing, we think we cannot say it. And so for me, being wild means speaking your truth, even if your mm. voice shakes. So so for you then, it really is about being authentic and and being transparent. I would love to dig a little bit more into that about speaking your truth and, 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 the, and that poetic sticking to the real that's really mm-hmm. that's really great because it seems to me that there's there's connections there let's uh let's for sure uh, uh cir- circle back to that i i just um i i'm a magician as most of my uh listeners will know and so i've been doing sleight of hand card magic and coin magic and entertaining people for a long time and last night uh, a friend of mine uh who uh is living in niagara falls ontario who's worked the cruise ship market and Vegas and so on, won many awards, did a stage magic show, 90-minute magic show online and had uh, visiting guests. And it was on behalf of the uh, Humane Society in the area. No audience, of course. And there were about 2,000 people watching the live show last night. And about, I think, eighteen or 20,000 people have now watched it, you know, 24, not even 24 hours later. So, you know, and I'm thinking, how did Greg do that? Greg Fruin, by the way, F-R-E-W-I-N, if you want to check him out on YouTube. But how did he do that? I mean, not, not and I don't mean from a technical perspective, but how did he turn this into a fundraiser? And, and I heard you mention virtual events. And, and, and is this, are you, I mean, are you, as a pro, as the expert, seeing this as a new opportunity, as a new kind of vertical to, to raise awareness and raise funds? Um, gosh, 
it is, it's a perfect opportunity. And for nonprofits that are hesitating right now and in, in saying, okay, I'm in fight, flight, freeze, or fawn mm. mode, which is how our brains will get if we are put under extreme stress as we are now, we're probably all operating about 50% capacity. Mm. Um, and not, some nonprofits are saying, some charities are saying, we can't fundraise because we don't do direct service healthcare, or we don't serve the homeless, or we don't have as deep a connection to COVID-19 as we should. And that is not stopping many people from making lots and lots of money right now and building those donor relationships online and offline um, and having donors fundraise for them. So a client of mine in, in Los Angeles, they have they help homeless people get jobs. And now other people are out of the work because they were in service industry jobs. Um, and so they are asking their donors to give. And they, in the last three weeks, raised over $100,000 US. And um, they did that through a combination of really good emails and then a donor deciding to run a GoFundMe on their behalf. So um, it's really working for them. I hear, you know, Mazarin, it's interesting you say that. I've heard people say for years, and I've been working in the sector for many, many years, again, as most of my listeners will know, and and fundraisers that you speak to. I've, I've raised a fair bit of money over the years, but I've never specifically raised the money. I've never said, hey, Mazarin, can I count on you for your $5,000 donation today? Or, you know, can you sign on this dotted line? I've, I've, I've raised it through proposals and events and, you know, uh, crowdfunding and that, that kind of thing. Um, but what, what I do hear people say, uh, is, is, well, the money's there. You just need to know how to ask for it. Right. Is, is that really true? Um, well, you know, it's, this is a time what we, none of us have lived through before. Um, and, uh, it is still true. Um, and it is, people are, uh, are very much in the mode of, um, uh, they're, they're trying super hard to like, um, how do I say this? They are wanting to make a difference. They're stuck at home. They're just as frustrated as you are. And they're really tearing their hair out over their investments, their jobs, their kids, their, their lives, their relatives. I know a woman today who's a friend of mine who just lost her father and I'm seeing people say this on Twitter all the time. Um, and so people are thinking about how can I make my life mean something and what really mm. matters right now because so many people are not going to be here anymore. And so it's the perfect time for you to find ways to engage your donors and to connect with them um, because a lot of them may even be scared that they'll die and they never see their family again, you know? Yeah, because my, my sense is that, you know, and that's where I was heading with the question was, it seems like, you know, I, I read an article just recently, and it was American based saying, you know, the nonprofit sector is going to get hit pretty hard. Um, we're probably going to see a lot of little, you know, sort of mom and pop NGOs or charities, uh, you know, fade away or be, be maybe, maybe, or hope that you know, a better case scenario would be to be picked up by larger NGOs. I've always thought that could happen. And I, I've hoped actually that could happen. I don't think the world needs any more nonprofits. I think we need, you know, a few more dots connected. I think we need more, more collaboration and co-creation and so on, and not just from a buzzword perspective, but, but it seems to me this phase we're in, aren't people going to go inward? Yes, but what we have to do before we are um, 
able to reach people is we have to connect with them. We have to check mm. in. We have to acknowledge where they are. Right. That they it's safe for them to go in. Because what I'm seeing now is people are attacking each other. People are angry. Um, people are so scared. Um, I'm seeing people just crying. Videos people crying on on Twitter and on Instagram. And uh, there's everyone's inner child is coming out right now. So first, mm. we have to help people recognize what they're feeling, regulate their emotions, and then help them take action, whether it's learning from us, connecting with us in a call, or, you know, just feeling like they can donate, you know? Is the, is, is the nonprofit going to have to get better about that uh, targeted type of fundraising versus the direct mail-like approach that sort of, yeah. oh boy, you know, I was going to use the phrase, and I apologize for it, the carpet bombing sort of approach, you uh -huh. know, where where you just, you know, a mile wide and an inch deep, you go and, you know, you run that, the junk mail approach, basically. Uh, get away from that and be way more specific and way more relational and way more focused. Is that what we're going to walk into now? Is that the future? Well, you know what? I hope so. Um, mm, it's, I, it's a really great way to put it, actually. Yeah. I mean, it might be the future. That doesn't survive. mean it's, <laughs> it, it's not, it doesn't mean it's going to happen, right? No. The, I hope, mean, the hope so approach is, is great. Yeah. I mean, see what works for you. If you can mm. get results with direct mail, go for it. But, you know, the carpet bombing approach, as you said, a lot of nonprofits aren't going to have the money to buy lists right now. And that's kind of what that is. Usually the in-house list that you have, people have already given or shown that they care about you is better than trying to buy something at this point. Um, but I would say this is a great time to experiment and really put money into fundraising experimentation. And that means going on Zoom or, you know, having that online conferencing platform to do your conference online or um, try to live stream some concerts if you're an arts right. nonprofit. Live stream um, magic show. Right. Live stream magic show, just yeah. like you said. And, yeah. you know. People are getting really creative with this. Um, I do think, as you said, some nonprofits will will close or merge or have to put their programs under the auspices of another nonprofit. And uh, that is actually a good thing um, mm. because what we do have is a proliferation of folks that are all going after the same philanthropic dollars. And in the last several years, we've seen that stagnation is the new growth, that they're not actually getting new donors in. And that is a problem. And one of the reasons they're not getting new donors in is because they are treating their fundraising staff so poorly that people are leaving every six to 12 months. According to a Canadian recruiter that I know, he said six to 12 months is normal in the nonprofit sector. So imagine that you're a salesperson and that you have six to 12 months to build relationships and then you're off to the next organization. Wow. Um, like you don't have enough time to build relationships you know, or like tell the story of the organization properly. So every time a nonprofit makes it impossible for a person to succeed, they'll just go um, or they'll be fired. And a lot of us aren't considering what does it take to be successful in a capacity-building way? Are we investing enough in education for our funder, fund, fundraiser? Are we investing enough in board education and not just putting all the pressure on one person? Um, there's a lot of things to consider. And nonprofits on average waste um, uh, over 117% of a fundraiser's salary every time they leave. So you do the math, three years running, if you pay them you know, $50,000 and you have like three of them leave, that's 
that's lots and lots of money. And that in, mm. in America, at least, we found out that in three years, you will waste about six hundred thousand dollars. And well, and, though, and Mazarin, those are just the hard numbers. What about the organizational? What about the tacit knowledge? What about the exactly. relationships? Exactly. When I'm talking about lost relationships, lost yeah, donor relationships, yeah, yeah, those absolutely. are just hard numbers. But if people, if, if all they understand is money, I'm trying to speak to them from that angle. But yeah, think about the lost relationships. I I did a webinar series on major gifts a couple of years ago now, and we had a major donor on with a webinar on how it feels to be asked for a major gift, and he said. I talked to three different people from my alma mater uh, three years in a row, and I just got so tired of them asking me the same questions. I just stopped giving mm. to them because oh, they man, were that's so unfortunate, right? Like, yeah, it's, that's hard. It's kind of heartbreaking in a way, right? So because people you're are laying off their fundraising staff now. They need to not. You need to see them as even more essential than their program staff. Like, so, so a couple things, and I love, I want to go down this relational path here for a second, because I think one of the, the, the gravest errors that the nonprofit sector has made for, for way too many years is, has treated the donor, has treated me like a transaction. I'm, I am, you know, I'm an ATM. I'm, I'm a bank machine and I'm just going to pummel you with email. I'm going to pummel you with direct mail and eventually you will give, you will break. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> and, and the numbers say that. And, and, and I tend towards, I suppose, giving over not giving, I think. And that's part of the, that's what I was raised in. My parents were some of the most hospitable people I know, but I think a, a lot of us just look at it and, 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 and it's, and it, it really is junk mail. Right, the organization isn't treating me like a person. They aren't treating me like uh, there. There isn't a relationship there. It's 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 uh, it's maybe well maybe there is, and it's it's one way, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and 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 I'm just wondering is how 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 do you get beyond that transaction? And you know what used to work isn't necessarily going to still work. And yet we don't we don't we acquiesce to what's you know what's easy sometimes. Well, we have to make sure that our program is properly resourced. And what people fail to understand is that fundraising is not a money sink, it's a money maker, but only if it is properly resourced. And that means 12 months after you hire someone, then you can start thinking, how much are they raising us? Don't expect them to get a lot for, you know, first three months, six months, even first nine months. One of the most successful organizations, and I really feel like we have to look at this, when we talk about what is really going to change and make a difference for people um, in terms of fundraising success. Um, one of the most successful organizations in fundraising is LDS, aka Latter-day Saints, aka the freaking Mormons. Okay. Mm. So um, I'm not a Mormon. Um, I look for a soundbite every day, by the way. And I think the freaking Mormons may be my soundbite today. So, <laughs> just so you know. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah and are. it's it's like 4.30 Eastern Standard Time. It's taken me a long time today to get my sound bites. So there you go. <laughs> well, they're ubiquitous where I live. And when I lived in Korea, they were ubiquitous. Mm. They were everywhere. Wow. And, okay. Yeah. Um, and so what they do is they have a teams of people that go out and recruit. And then they have tithing. And then what they do in their fundraising office is they say in the first two years, we don't want you to raise any money. We just want you to learn who we are and mm. get trained. And Isn't I don't know any other nonprofit that gives people two years before they have to wow. raise any money. And so that's why they have such longevity in their fundraising office. And that's why they're so successful. Um, well, so how about imagine... two years to get trained yes. and build relationships? Yes. Right? That's yes. what it sounds like to me. Yes. Get and to know us intimately. How do people build these real relationships? And I went off on a tangent. But mm -hmm. I'm going to come back to that now. Mm -hmm. Good. So Good. Yeah. 
you um, as a donor deserve respect and you deserve people to get to know you. And um, when people are under-resourced, they feel like they don't have time to treat you the way you deserve. We emphasize donor love and we should be emphasizing instead staff love first, then donor love, like charity begins at home, right? So if that's the case, then if people were really getting treated well, they would treat you differently. But because they're getting treated like work robots, they're going to say, I don't have to care how David gets treated because no one cares how I get treated. So good. Staff love and then donor love. That's fantastic. Right. Yes. That's yeah, if you can't I mean. get your if you can't get your own house in order, right? Yes. There, there's something to that. But I mean, if you want to have an innovative like tip from this particular section of the podcast, then I'd say now is the time to start texting your donors. Now is the time to start asking them to have virtual coffee with you on Zoom. Now is the time to send them what's called a personal video message. You can use Vidyard to do it. It's free. Um, um, you can also use what's called BombBomb. Um, that's another one that's paid. And uh, with those tools, you can see if somebody opened your email, if somebody watched your video, you can get like a whiteboard and write their name on it and say, hey, just thinking of you, how are you doing? We'd love to chat with you. If they give you a donation, write their name on that whiteboard and say, thank you so much um, as well. And then write, make them a little video message from you. That's innovation. Um, you know, here's some other innovation, which I think more nonprofits need to try because right now there's no competitive sporting events. I'm not a sport person. I know a lot of people are, and um, there is this platform called Twitch. Have you heard of it? Uh, Twitch? Yeah. Hmm, maybe. Okay. Twitch is a platform for people to watch people do what they do. So most of it is gaming, um, but there's also people watching people. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I know. I know what you're, yep, I do know this one. So people are doing Twitch fundraising. Like, they say, hey, watch my channel and you know, go subscribe to his other channel and donate. And if you donate, you're going to be in the chance to win a t-shirt or whatever it is. And people will just massively donate. So for example, there's this teeny, teeny, tiny nonprofit called Transactive Gender Center here in Portland, Oregon. A guy on Twitch said, I want to fundraise for you for one day. He did that and he raised them 5,000 US just like that. Hmm. Wow. So people are not even thinking about how to engage gamers right now. And maybe it's because they don't understand the culture or they don't like respect it. Um, but look at that and then look at WhatsApp as well. If you're thinking about um, um, engaging immigrant communities specifically, um, people who speak Spanish, people who uh, who speak an Asian language, um, WhatsApp is a huge place to engage people and more people who are from the dominant culture in North America should be thinking about that. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, it's, it seems to me that we should have been thinking about these things several years ago. Yes. You know, and 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 a little more prepared for this this uh, fundraising situation we find ourselves in, I suppose. Right. I mm -hmm. mean, well, how is it because we kind of lean on what's easy? Well, we have biases and we have unconscious ways of managing our time. Right. Um. So we don't necessarily think about um what would be the best thing to do for the future? Not all of us are futurists. We are, what is my job measured on right now? And how can I do that and keep my job? Um, and if you're already in a job where you're staying for six to 12 months, you're probably just never getting out of that mindset. And of course, your boss isn't necessarily trained in how to fundraise. Of course, your board isn't necessarily trained in how to fundraise. And all of that put together means it's just kind of like a confluence of uh, things that keep you from being successful. Um, and there's not a lot you can do about that unless you become into a space where you're encouraged to 
sit down, think about where you really want to be in five years, have a manager that helps you get there, and then broaden your perspective of, you know, in 18 to 24 months, what's going to be the most effective fundraising tool for us. And so I'm actually thinking about doing another online conference just on the future of fundraising and having lots of people who speak lots of different languages there saying, here's how you engage these different groups. Because I don't know about Canada, but in the US, by 2030, um, uh, people who are white are going to be in the minority. And um, that means that 50% of the country needs to be engaged as potential donors and supporters. And a lot of people are not um, prepared for that. Risk mitigation. Well, and just getting with the program. And just getting future. with the program. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe being being a little more present and spending a little less time in the past, it, it seems yeah. to me. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, um, you you talked about the, the, the two-year Latter-day Saints, the two years of getting to know the organization. I go to, uh, you know, the relational side of that, the intimate side of that. I, I remember a story of a, a major donor philanthropist here in, in Ontario and, you know, the story was something to the effect of first donation, $500 donation 10 years later was $11 million, but it, but it took 10 years to get there. And in each year, the donation got progressively larger. And it seems to me that the story really was being told to say, this is, this is a long ball. And I think, I think that a lot of nonprofits are looking for quick fixes do do they exist like i you know that you you spend all that money on that big fancy event it doesn't bring in the money oh it failed did it really fail or did you guys actually you know did you look at it from a strategic through a strategic lens is this a three is this you know maybe it's a five-year approach rather than just a one-off and it seems to me that too many fundraising efforts are are, are often just like one-offs well you're quite right. We are stuck in short-term thinking versus long-term planning. For example, the community foundation I chatted with today told me that in a survey of their um, grantees, 60% of them said they had zero to three months of operating funding left. And she's like, they could be lying. I'm not sure what that really means, but that means the vast majority of them could not be here in three months, which is really scary. So... If we're stuck in short-term thinking and we're stuck demanding immediate results, we're going to be hostage to what hampers small businesses as well, which is we don't have the space to do long-term um, strategic thinking and um, resourcing of our programs. So um, one of the things that can help that is to create a culture where mistakes are celebrated and where experimentation is encouraged. And so every week, if you have a staff meeting or every month, if you have a staff meeting, say, what experiments did we try this month? What mistakes did we make this month? And just say, yay, you made a mistake. Now you know what didn't work. <laughs> and you know what? We can look at all of the Bill Gates of the world that we want. We can look at all the Steve Jobs that we want, you know, but looking at their success stories is not nearly as helpful as looking at what people have tried that hasn't worked. And you, the guy who backs me up on this is Nassim Nicholas Taleb, just FYI. So, and and I, sorry, I don't know who that is. is oh, that he's a, so cool. He wrote the Better Procrustes, the Black Swan. Okay, um, he's pretty cool. Anyway. Okay, and you've written quite a few books as well. Let's get a little plug in there for you. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. Written, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, why don't you why don't you toss that out for? Our yeah, listeners? sure. I've written three books, ten e courses, um, done a bunch of presentations. Um, my books are my most recent one is called "Get the Job: Your Fundraising Career Empowerment Guide." So, if you are job hunting right now, whether you're currently employed, part time, or furloughed, or laid off, 
you may like that one. Um, it's helped a lot of people get a lot of jobs they thought they couldn't get near. Um, I'm very happy to send you the ebook. Um, you do have to pay for it, but trust me, it's worth it. If you don't feel like getting mail right now, if that feels tainted, that's okay. <laughs> um, but the physical book is available on Amazon as well. Um, and then I also have two other books. Um, one's about social media. I don't like to talk about that anymore because it was from 2012 and everything's changed. And then I, my first book was called The Wild Woman's Guide to Fundraising. So I like that one too. And I'm happy to send the ebook to anybody as well. So Cool. Well, we'll have information for people to, to access that in the, in in your bio and, and on face to face live.ca as well. So that's great. Well, thank thanks for that. So um so so let's get back to this uh, this culture of, of where, where you know hooray you made a mistake. Uh, yeah. It, you know and 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 listen, engineers without borders up here, uh, yes. they become quite popular for this notion this this failure report. Yes. Uh, it, it's becoming more of a thing. I mean, what I find fascinating though, and I've worked with over 60 nonprofits in, in about 20 years and a couple of them I've spent a, you know, a two to three year, uh, a window with, I find they're, 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 hmm. Can I say status quo? Can uh -huh. I talk about, can I talk about mediocrity? Can I yeah. talk about the fact that, you know, we might have that meeting where we say we're going to celebrate people's mistakes, but, but then once again, we bend towards what's easy. Uh -huh. um, we say we want to be relational, but we hide behind our email and we stay seated at our desks. We sit 20 meters away from somebody and we won't go and talk to them face to face. Uh -huh. Right. So, so again, this whole idea of getting your own house in order before you can actually, what was, what was your line? That should be a t-shirt. Was it oh, staff yeah. it was love staff and then love donor, love? donor love? Yeah. yeah, it's great. Is that yours <laughs> by the way? I've actually been featured on another Canadian podcast about saying that exact phrase. So that was easy for me to come yeah. up with. It's so good. That's original. You can totally put it on a t-shirt and give me a percentage of the profit. Yeah, let's do that, man. There could be millions there. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, that's, it's, but, but yeah, no, I mean, so yeah, we can have some fun with this, but at the same time, I mean, you're talking about a radically different culture for a lot of, it seems to me, for a lot of NGOs. Yeah. Right? And so to that say, means we're going to celebrate our... a mistake. We're going to celebrate the fact that you actually didn't make us any money. Yes. That you, right? Yes. We're going to celebrate that now you know what doesn't work. So, for example, right. when I was doing my online conferences, two, two of them a year, I wasted so much money in LinkedIn ads, in Google inbox ads, in, um, uh, Facebook ads. I wasted money on a Facebook consultant. And all of that was really beneficial for me to say, I know now what doesn't work. I'm going to help other mm. people not waste money. And I learned how all of those systems worked. And so um, for me, like that makes me a better consultant and a better resource because I can say, I've tried everything and here's what's worked. Um, and that's just a strength that I bring. Um, but we that means we also have to rewrite people's job descriptions and rewrite our missions and our systems to build in experimentation and risk-taking as part of how someone is measured on their performance. How long do you think a new approach should be experimented with before you say, this isn't working, whether it's, you know, the Twitch gaming experience, the sure. online magic show, you know, the virtual coffee, whatever, the virtual conference, I should say, yeah. uh, before you go, yeah, you know what, we, we're spending too much money here. This isn't, this isn't working out. Sure. For Twitch, for example, I would hire someone who specializes in Twitch fundraising. Um, mm. I don't, but I'm thinking about having someone do that at my virtual conference. So, um, you know, I would love to be able to be that resource to people to like find the right consultant for them. Um, I'd say hire somebody who can just give you exactly what I'm giving you right now. Here's what doesn't work and here's what does work. 
right? And then you can just skip all the things that don't work and go straight to what does, and it'll be worth your money. So give them a month to help you raise $10,000. Um, for COVID-19 messaging right now, give them a month to help you raise 5000 if you've never tried to raise it before. Under-promise and over-deliver is what I say to consultants generally. But if somebody says, this is my specific area of expertise, and here are my numbers to back it up, you should absolutely trust them. Um, and then to experiment with you know, different messaging. Yeah, in a month, you'll be able to get a lot because I don't know about you, David, but every week feels like a year. Like everything mm -hmm. is happening. It's just coming at you, you know, and like people are super impatient right now and also overwhelmed, right? So- Yeah, oh, it's, it's yeah, the implications of all of this are, I mean, to say they're far reaching is an understatement. And yeah, globally. We just, we, we just have no idea what history is going to say about us even six to 12 months from now, never mind uh, 60 years from now. How did, how did those people handle this? <laughs> right? And the lessons learned and uh, yeah, I just, I hope we're, we're bending a little bit towards more towards the solution now, but I think we're, we're still a ways away. It seems to me, mm -hmm. um, do, um, you know, I've always, I've always felt that Bill, you know, to get away, you know, we sort of, st and sadly, we're going to have to wrap up in, 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 in not too long, believe oh, it or not, no. but I know we're probably going to have to have a part two, I think. Yeah. Um, but, but so this transactional approach, I've, you know, it's, it's so sort of evident to me. It's self-evident. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of that used car salesman like approach. I think a lot of nonprofits fall into it. I think their language, I think their approach, their videos, the, the, the branding, even, you know what I mean? It, 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 you can see it coming a mile away. It's kind of, you're walking down the street. Oh, I know that guy's going to ask me for money. I'm going to cross over you know, those third-party fundraising uh, agencies that do that kind of work and so on. How do we get away from that as a sector? How does how does an NGO say, okay, we have to truly, you know, and you've touched on this in a variety of different ways in our, in our conversation this, today, but how do we truly build relationships with potential donors and commit to this in a way that's meaningful and that's long term and that's going to make sense not only for the organization but for the donor themselves i've always believed mazarine that if we build the relationships that the you know and really truly treated people like means and not ends sorry other way around treat people like ends and not means um that the money will follow and am I being uber ide super idealistic there uh, on that? Is that you, like you are not. Um, the the thing that people are not doing is tracking how someone becomes a donor and mm, thanking people for bringing people into the organization, and they're not tracking um, the steps it takes to get someone to give a gift. And so they like, find themselves caught in endless meetings when in the end with a person that doesn't have the capacity to give to them at a significant level. And then they've just wasted all that time. And so we have opportunity cost, we have, you know, logical fallacies. We have a lot of really interesting cognitive biases that prevent us from being successful. Um, so the important thing is to first know yourself, know what you're most prominent cognitive bias is, and for me, it's the just world fallacy, the belief mm. that our world should have better treatment of all of our workers, that we should all get universal basic income, universal health care. Um, and, you know, you have it in Canada. We don't have it in the U.S., right? Um, but even in Canada, you could have more, you know, you could have better. And um, so 
for me, I believe that that is something worth fighting for. That's a world worth fighting for. Um, and that's my bias that I think that the world should be just. Um, and when it isn't, I get really angry. <laughs> and <laughs> right, so right. that's how you drive out. Someone becomes a donor. You tap into what are their values? And then you say, I'm mad about that too. And so if you told me right now, David, that you had a nonprofit that was helping nonprofit workers get paid better, I'd be like, take my money. Right. Um, because you've tapped into what I believe should exist in the world, the world that I want to fight for. Um, and the thing that we're going to have to do in the next six to 12 months is get people from fighting against to fighting for um, and and reframing that um, that doom and gloom into hope and optimism um so uh getting someone to stop being transactional with their fundraising means we actually have to stop going into what is called the three pillars of white supremacy which include um and just let me digress here for five seconds yeah go, um, go. orientalism orientalism slash um you know uh like colonialism uh uh, war and um, sorry, war and colonialism, capitalism slash slavery, uh, slavery and Orientalism uh, slash genocide. So how that looks is that that is the structure that our entire society in the North America is based on, and that means that our nonprofits are reproducing the structure. The structure is also reproducing our heads. What does that look like? It means that we treat people like things. And I feel like that is where mm. evil begins when you treat wow. people like things. Wow. That, I mean, wow. That's quite a point to bring up, you know, at the 30, we just hit the 36 minute mark in our, in our conversation. Uh -huh. And it really is. That's, that's wild. So we treat people like things and, and just, I didn't quite hear it right, but did you say it's the white, um, three pillars of white supremacy? Yeah. The three pillars of white supremacy. So we're going to look that up. Maybe even have a link to it. You'll in, have a link. In, there's uh, a, there's a chart around that as well. I can show you. Yeah, yeah, that's that's wild. But the the notion again, that's that's the that's the means to an end, right? Versus the ends end in itself. Well, so we I treat mean, people we're like fighting things. not just the structure of our society, but what's inside of us because we we create mm. these structures inside ourselves, inside our nonprofits, and then in the larger world. So when we try to break out of them, treating people like things. We, we rub up against all of these constructs that we have to then say, this is what this is. If we can name it, then we can start to do something about it. First, we have to see it. Yeah, sure. And that's yeah. the disease of capitalism. I mean, I should say predatory capitalism. Predatory capitalism, yeah. Well, and that's, I think, the ideological component there that you're, 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 you're touching on that makes it so hard. And I think that's where I was going with that question about we're going to talk about becoming an organization that celebrates the mistakes you made, but boy, oh boy, there's no way in hell we're ever going to get there. Mm -hmm. Right. Because we just can't. Right. Because we're, 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 we're pushing, we're like Sisyphus, we're pushing the boulder up the hill and it just keeps slipping out of our hands and well, we, so we can't why, see the forest for the trees. Right? right. Yeah. That's why we have to start bringing up structural, structural mm. problems inside of our organizations. And then, you know, the fish rots from the head, that is a, a Russian saying, but it is accurate. So like, even if somebody who's a program worker or a development director thinks things should change unless the board and senior leadership thinks things should change they won't and so you can just choose where you want to spend your energy and um and a lot of new social change organizations social justice organizations have at their base we will acknowledge these systems before we get started 
you know, whether it's acknowledging the land that we're on, whether it's acknowledging the, um, the way that we treat each other, um, and just having really clear guidelines for the work. You know what I mean? I, I, I do. And I mean, it sounds, it sounds, uh, tactical, but yet it sounds deeply strategic. It sounds like, uh, there's, it sounds like a wake up call to me. I mean, there's so much more, there's way more going on here than meets the eye. And, and I hate the fact that we're, we're, we're getting close to, to, to wrapping up. Um, Tell me a little bit more um, uh, tips for people as they as they step into this potentially who knows another six to twelve eighteen months even of of, of isolation whatever that's going to look hopefully it's small eye isolation and we are actually going to be sort of seeing people at least from a distance but the virtual coffee thing the Zoom calls any any thoughts there any tips how to how to break that ice we break down that fourth wall if you will oh yeah I mean. Right now, and I think always, leadership is about the quality of your questions. Mm. You cannot be a good leader unless you're asking really good questions. Because if you ask somebody, how are you? They're going to say, fine. Right? But if you say, how are you really doing right now? Just be really honest with me. And you're looking at them and the quality of your attention is right there with them. And no one else is paying attention to anything else. They're going to open up to you and they're going to say, this is how I really am. And that's the quality of attention we need to bring right now. Um, I have a whole blog post that I just posted that lists a series of questions that you can ask. Oh, wow. In sort of both, like icebreaker questions? Well, sort of? no, in group meetings with mm. donors, fireside chats, if you will, as well as one-on-one -on -one chats with donors, just trying to get a sense of, you know, what legacy they want to leave, you know, the deeper questions. Um, we can go from, right, you know, talking about trivialities to talking about our opinions to talking about our values. And as we go deeper and deeper into that onion, um, we're able to get at, as we started from the beginning, you know, what sticks to the real. That's so good. Wow. I think we're going to, we're going to wrap it up there. I so wanted to go deeper into the, I mean, if, you know, again, staff love, um, over and, and, and donor love, because I think that leadership and asking the quality of the questions, I think that applies organizationally as well. Right. It's oh, not that's all over the, yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. It's not just about donor specific, but that's no. about, that's, that's, that's organization specific as well. Yes. Uh, Mazarine, what a, what a, uh, a, a wonderful time I've had today. Uh, for some, it's going to be a very specific conversation, but I think there's all kinds of insights here that are, that are connected way beyond the nonprofit sector. And I, I love that about, uh, I just love that about having a good conversation with somebody. So thanks for that. Um, hey, how about a, a, a one more plug uh, for, for you and the work that you do? Tell us where we can find out more about you, the access to those books and so on. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, wildwomanfundraising.com, mazarinetrays.com. We'll have those links under the, the video, I'm sure, um, or the recording, I guess. And if you want to call me, um, my number is 503-673-3863. You can also email me at info at wildwomanfundraising.com. My areas of expertise where I can truly help you right now are in doing virtual meetings, virtual conferences, and COVID-19 messaging. So if you do want to reach out, I'm very happy to chat with you about all of that. And if you want online fundraising training, I have tons of resources for you. So thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. And you know what? I, I can't let you go without asking you this last question. I've got, just got so many. And um, <laughs> I was, I was going to let, I was going to wrap us up. And then I, I, I came to that 80, 20, I thought, you know, and, and the thought of generosity, uh, are, are people generous? 
I mean, you, you, to me, you sound very hopeful. Even in this time of crisis, we find ourselves in. And so I, I just, I, there's not even one question here. It's really about, you know, uh, are we all capable of giving, I guess, maybe is the question, right? So, so often you hear the 80-20, it's 20% of the people that are giving 80% of the money, right? So those are the ones you have to focus on. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm not asking for a yes or a no or a, a right or wrong or black or white answer here, but I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts around that just as we wrap up. When I lived in Indonesia and I was working at a baby orphanage in the poorest slums of Jakarta, what I witnessed was when I was sitting in a bus and uh, two children got on playing music and they were maybe like four and six, they were barefoot, they were dirty. Um, and then they came around with a hat um, to get money after singing on the bus, um, every single person on that bus gave them something, including Mm. me. And Mm. my friend told me, because you're white, you have to give something. So (laughs) that's the generosity piece Mm. that people overlook in times of stress and crisis. The vast majority of people on that bus were very poor people. The people who make under $50,000 a year are the most generous people. Mm. And so I think we are, I mean, that's just research. We are going to see an outpouring of generosity from people that have very little even now because we are, a lot of us, even if we don't have to be out, slowing down, thinking about what matters and how to connect with others more deeply. So I think that is going to create. What a great story. Yes. Yeah. I, um, you know, I just posted, I just posted an interview today with, do you remember the home alone movies? Mm -hmm. I interviewed Daniel Stern and he, uh, you may not know the name, but he was in city slickers. So, uh, you know, some big, big films. And so he starred in a Canadian American production. That's a a time travel movie. And it's, it's, it's kind of crazy, but it's also really thoughtful and existentially deep. And, and, and our, our conversation focused on stepping back, resetting, being in the moment and, and, and being thoughtful. And, and that's what I'm hearing, you know, from, from, from you as well, that this, you know, this time is going to give us this, this, this opportunity, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and a, how, how are we all going to step into it? I guess will yeah. be the question. Mazarin, thanks so much for your time today. We've been talking to Mazarin Trace uh, today about a whole lot of things. Um, thank you for, for joining us and um, look forward to chatting again with you in the, in the not so distant future. Yes, I would love that. Thank you so much for having me.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.